Thank you for coming. It's an amazing number of humans that I know here, so I want to th thank you for coming. And I also just wanted to thank you uh, for being part of Mockingbird. Uh, I find that this place uh, is one of the strange nexus, nexi of popular culture and the infinite uh, realities of spiritual life. And it's, it is an extraordinarily delicate and yet at the same time vitally important part of my life and humanity's life and the older I get and the more I listen to talks like yours, Bishop, I, it, it says to me that I'm not as dumb as I look. So um, what, I, what I really want to talk to you about today is, is, is this. And I was thinking, when I was asked to come in back from what I did last year, which was after I be, they made me a fellow in the AA on a Thursday night or evening, I flew here and walked in Saturday, uh, Friday night. I, I walked in on a Saturday morning and I did a fairly crazy speech uh, that basically talked about what, what happens. It reflected the fact that I write for Mockingbird. So I'm not here because I write for Mockingbird. Well, that's probably one of the reasons I'm here. I'm actually probably here, well, it's also not because I write a book. I, this is my latest book that just came out, so I'm not here because I write books. And I. I also write articles. This is an article that was in Arch Daily that had like 100,000 views, and it's not why I'm here. I'm not here because I'm a lifelong Episcopalian, a great, married at Grace Church by Paul Zoll when he was a curate, and um, no, that's not why I'm here. I even knew David Zoll when he was shorter than this table, but no. And I am a card-carrying kind of Episcopalian, but I don't know any, anything about all this stuff and what it all means and or anything, and so it's not really why I'm here. So I just listened to a bishop tell you things that I have no clue about. But, you know, and I'm also, you know, even though I'm the, the property chair of Trinity Church in the Green, you know, and I do a lot of work with Trinity, with these new steps that we just got $117,000 from the state from, uh, you know, I'm not really here because of that either. I'm also really not here because I was the architect for the Episcopal Church in Connecticut's new headquarters, even though I was that. And, and I, I do also lots of church work ecumenically all over the place, and that's not why I'm here. I, I also, you know, I talk a lot. I, I, I just finished this thing in Italy, which is a five-week exercise that involved a whole bunch of kids in three different cities on three different coasts. And I also critic Yale sometimes, and I also talked to the Seattle AIA a couple of weeks ago, and I also did a thing up in the Connecticut AIA thing. But that's really, 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 really why I'm not here. I'm, I'm really here really. Well, you know what? I'm also not here because of my artwork. So, so that, that's not why I'm here. And I'm not here because I do work for private clients who actually make a quilt of the design that I did for their house on that site. And I also, you know, do interesting work that I write about and talk about a lot. That's not why I'm here. I'm also not here because of the cool housing things that I do. And I'm also not here because of the fancy houses that I do, and I'm not here because wonderful clients are here to see me. I'm, I'm also not here because another client is not here who said he'd be here to see me. Um, I'm even not here because, ready for it, I was elected into the Madison Athletic Hall of Fame as a contributor, meaning I'm not that good an athlete, but you know, uh, you know it's sort of like a special Olympics award, but that's okay. I'm not even here because this year I buried my sibling. I'm probably here because I'm just one of you. I'm part of this inchoate mass of humanity that deals with ever more 
confusing and um, distracting and problematic realities in their lives. And because of that, the last four years, even though I don't know that weird pie chart thing and what it all really means to the Episcopal Church, I've taken Lent pretty seriously. Not because I gave up drinking, that would be just a bridge too far. Not because I gave up desserts, that would really be a bridge too far. But I actually said, what is the most polluting thing in my life? And it's the noise. It's what we're subjected to every single day. The screaming and the competition for your time and the things that basically distract you from knowing who you are. So essentially, since I work out in in this barn here every day, about 360 days a year, work out like crazy, can't you tell? Really, can't you tell? Um, uh, uh, No, no, no. It's sort of a tragedy. But anyway, um, uh, to work this hard and to look like this is, there's, you know, grace. So um, I do that every morning. And I usually do it watching Morning Joe, or I do it watching NFL, or, or most belovedly, I watch old Law and Order reruns for the 75th time. And I find that I connect in a really interesting way to myself and culture just by basically white noising out and working my brains out and basically connecting with something that is within me, but it's very incoherent. And so I thought four years ago, it might really be a good idea, might really be a good idea to turn it off, to turn it off, to turn it off, to just be in silence and work it hard for the entire time of Lent. And then, because um, I have the mantle of um, the need for approval of my own, and also the vanity of wanting to do things that are evident and tangible, I wrote. And mostly I wrote for myself. It was just during Holy Week the first year, then it was little snippets another year, and then it was snippets with some artwork last year. And then this year I said, well, you know, I, I should really I was in the hospital for 100 hours a month before I came here the last time. And I realized that it was really important for me to kind of get right with what I thought about everything. And God had always been with me, incoherently, as you might guess. But I knew that I could use Lent, I could use this writing time to actually really purposefully be a sounding board in silence. So I did. So I, I would go for 90 minutes at level 23. I'd burn about 700 calories a time, do about 26, 27 miles. I would, and I ro- ended up writing about 30,000 words. And it, I don't know if the words were any good because it really didn't matter because I just sent it out, but it ended up that the words ended up meaning something. And I read all this to you for the people who weren't there, just on one piece, one little piece, and you'll see which one it is. A person that I only have met once said, I read all your stuff. It's the best thing I've ever written. The New York Times. It's pretty good. The other one was a vicar and said, you know, I really do not understand this. I will pray for you because she really was worried that I was really not okay. The last one was my friend Ian Douglas who said to me, it must have been a hard night. Which is probably really about what it's about. That It is that human, non-sacred, non-theological human experience and confronting the immediate and the intimate every single morning in a way that had basically no remorse. And 
And what I'm gonna do, and I'm, I apologize for this, I'll try to do it quickly and I'll try to do it emphatically. I'm just gonna do a tone poem of, the four, of 42 snippets of these things. They do interconnect and I'll, I'll interconnect them, but they are essentially a stream of consciousness that's been short-circuited that is highly distinctive by the days and circumstances and timings, but connected by the fact that it happened in the same way every day for 42 days in a row. And by the way, it was supposed to be 40, but I lost count. So the flood, the, you know, all the, the desert, all that stuff, it just kind of, then I, I realized, oh my God, there's 42 of them. Oh, there we are. So it's better to have too much than too little. So there we are. So the first, the first, the first piece was basically just about why I'm doing this. And this is, by the way, the, the, the starting guard for the FNM basketball team that broke 2,000 points for the first time and made, uh, made all conference four times in a row and fell short. Fell short of national honors. So by the numbers, somehow, somehow, I have known I was not alone since I was abandoned by my parents to deal with one parent's alcoholism 58 years ago. And they could not come back for the next 30 years, which meant until both had died. My siblings also left to take care of themselves. My parents left to survive. It was silent enough 58 years ago that I heard something. I am still not sure, but I am not alone. And of course, the next day, the shooter, the violence, the craziness happens outside. And I thought about what evil was, because evil was perfectly incarnated by that shooting. 500 years ago, God was throwing everyone who was not Catholic into hell, or for others, everyone who was Catholic. This moment now, in fact, those who have not been unfairly treated can never understand others who are not and are forever irredeemably compromised by their unmerited privilege. Evil is different for different people, but only for those who are sure and convinced. And that touching of evil somehow catapulted me back to when I was in college and a woman that I had one of those horrific relationships with you have when you're 20 says to me, which of course made me fall in love with her instantly, do you ever hate yourself? And I thought about what came to make me realize that I will probably always hate myself in some respects, but also that I cannot be a person that is that bad. To me anyway, God is experienced, not the parables, the icons, even the hymns, which I love, they are ancient survivors and elegantly apt and often crushingly meaningful, but they are not, for me, faith. In the feral wilderness of my youth, the survival of whatever I was not just fun, was not just fun, it was necessary. There seemed to be no net, no backup plan, let alone Jesus. No one but me and those women I thought were the answer for my self-loathing. And that sense of awareness led me to believe that I, I had this laptop that, that, like that girl, had sort of told me that I was terrible and sucked and I had to get rid of it. And so basically, I had to change my laptop to do this blog. And when I did, I realized what a gift that old laptop was and basically what dysfunction and age and compensation meant in terms of these things that we use every day thoughtlessly. 
and I'm talking about Steve Jobs, I doubt he knew that his legacy of smaller, faster, lighter, smarter would breed sensitivity into those who could not or would not do what I just did, abandon the less fit. In dealing with the stroke victim of my old iPad, I engaged in elaborate workarounds to access new software that actually now worked less well than my old software did because of the old, now inadequate physical vessel, my 2010 iPad. I learned from that old iPad, patience, ingenuity, even compromise. Hard for me, but the next 38 pieces were a lot easier. And I thought about what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And, 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 and where I go to work out has this piece of art, which has a yoke in it and has these pieces of wood that are yokes in it. And all I can think about is my, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I, I, I thought about how much I've been given in my life and what I, the, that the yoke I have is pretty much all self-imposed. And I said, these gifts of hundreds, thousands of histories, materials, years, humans, all surround all of us. They are most often seen as a burden, not the gifts that have been offered to us. I did not deserve anything around me. Although I built and built a lot, all these chosen yokes are nothing I earned. Whether I get the flu or dip into the credit line or have one of our children find love, nothing. Nothing is bartered, bought, or deserved. Thoreau saw Walden. He did not create it. And then Mr. Rogers died. And I go, oh my God, Mr. Rogers. St. Rogers, St. Saint, Saint Fred. And I had a, I had a friend who, who, who spent a summer with him and said, he was one of the creepiest human beings he'd ever met. And this was in ca total, ca total counterintuitive thing. And so I write this thing, and I actually got some hate mail. I got some hate mail. And I actually, but I did actually say that it didn't really matter who he was, because I didn't know. I just knew what one person thought of him and what the world thought of him. And they were in different orbits. And I said, in 1971, Jesus and Fred Rogers were completely out of my orbit. I was in a flailing self-save. And I know that my distant and damaged siblings were also efforting in full desperation. Surviving in danger is dark, mostly dangerous, but also necessary. Lauren Tews, the actress on The Love Boat, says that when she was totally addicted to cocaine and suicidal, she survived because of Mr. Rogers. It's kind of heavy. I survived not because I nailed Bob Colvin on a fumble drill, although at the time I thought so, but because God was there, right there, and not on my radar. You, hear either, you either hear the music or it is noise. And so we went to see, Liz and I went to see the Michelangelo exhibit. And so coming out of that and writing about it the, the, the next follow, the, the following Monday, on Liz's birthday, by the way, I, th I, th I thought about what I did and what Michelangelo does. It was so in my head and I talked about it a great deal since. I said, not knowing much, I assume Michelangelo had the same affliction because we all do to some extent. I may not have hobbies, binge watch, or game, as we heard about upstairs, but I did watch two hours of CHOP last night, knowing that I hadn't been up at five and I needed to be up early the next day. We all have that compensatory thing to a polymathematic mind that doesn't let you rest. And 
The next day, the girls' hockey team won. So I said, my God, the girls' hockey team won. So I'm on my exercise bike, and I say, what does this mean? The girls' hockey team won. It was the greatest thing in the world. It was salvation. It was the start of a whole new world. I said, I am sure the transporting joy of an improbable win in a season of defeats, meaning we lost a lot of the Olympics, will carry the transported for a while. Then the inevitabilities well up to be undeniable. I am in a great, good place, even though my nightmares, which I have pretty much most nights, are violently terrifying. Our lives face endless disappointments and travails and triumphs, despite the miracle on ice part two. We are not the women's hockey team, and I am not my nightmares, despite how real they seem in the moment. And then I saw this article about them discovering the oldest art made by humans ever, and it was 10,000 or 15,000 years ago, and I thought about what it actually meant in terms of what is beauty. I, this, this, that thing that you saw from Italy was about, it's called building beauty, and it's about quantifying or estimating what, build, what beauty actually is in people's lives. And it's not about style, and it's not about Jesus, it's just about beauty. And I say, well, there is laughter. Why? And I think, it, I think it's because God is there. Now, the impossibility of useless beauty, useless beauty makes something not of us, but by us, divine. I cannot control what I create, I, I, even though I make it. When it's being done or gets done, I feel it's beauty or not. Sometimes problems are solved, but fixing is not always making beauty. I, I can root for a team or a person, maybe even feel good when they win and then sad when they lose, but if I do not somehow love them, I cannot feign devotion, just like I cannot simulate beauty. I cannot do fake faith. Somehow it got into my brain that in all of this, I tend to think about the losses more than anything. And the losses are, you know, I've had this incredibly privileged life. No cancer, no tragedies, nothing is bad. I'm a white male architect, for God's sake. I mean, what is more, you know, politically incorrect than that and, you know, guilt real than that? But I thought about the times when I would do things and things wouldn't happen. And I said, well, what does it actually mean when something doesn't happen? Because that's really the biggest loss in my life is when things don't happen. And I said, I have very few expectations, virtually no sense of entitlement. So I seldom feel cheated, victimized, or unfairly used pretty much ever. But loss of what I never had, but hope for, hurts. But it hurts more when I know I contributed to the decision that I was less desirable than another approach. And I can control that by doing as much as possible before I am dumped. So I crush it, often too hard, which of course means the hopes are higher. And I was pretty tired doing this stuff every day and it's sort of a whining thing. And, I, and basically, you know, I do a lot of work at Trinity. That's me with the unrolled chandelier that came down. And I thought about, well, why do I get so tired? Why do I care about loss? What's going on? And I said, basically, well, because I, we, I worship performance, effort, maybe even, as, even achievement. But since I cannot control achievement, I can only work. So as my, my exhaustion is my best shot at a Sabbath since I really don't 
do Sabbath very well. So, so I sin on the seventh day, which has a window of ceremony into the rituals that reveal the extreme freak of Jesus to a few thousand folk a couple of thousand years ago. This was not your average dude. This was a raging force of supernature. And so much so that it's hard to, for me to actually deal with. Then we went that went, went no, night. Liz was there. We went, we went to the former rector of Trinity Church's house where we had purchased part of a wine dinner and I had tastings of 17 different wines and no vegetables. It was a very strange sort of alchemic kind of weirdness that, that, that we engaged in. And it made me think of it with that extreme gluttonous consumption, that overabundance of stimuli. I said, you know, there really is meaning in silence. And let, for me, away from that night, here, now. But that meeting is like the last night's, unusual. Lent doesn't happen all the time. Silence doesn't happen all the time a sporadic dive into a fresh pool. Not the same clothes, the calls, the texts, and the food. My bed was exquisite this morning, as it is almost every morning. It was hard to leave it, but I have it every night. The act of spontaneous difference is inevitable. The continuity of sentience in this time plane is exquisitely limited. These continuities will be broken. We only may miss them then. And it was this horrible spring in New England. It was a horrible spring. It was terrible. And, and basically, it kept getting cold. It was not cold. And was, it, was, it was just a terrible time. And I thought about the fact that whether we believe in God or not, our difference is a fact. Difference from the rest of this nature. Dogs may have the mind of a two-year-old, according to the internet, but they will never know it. If you do not pay taxes or the mortgage, like my past sibling did not, it is still there. Whether we acknowledge, even see the world around us or not, it is there. Drink and sleep and drugs and anger and love can all be an overwhelming, distinct place for a bit, but that place is in this world. And this world is there before, during, and after any interlude you make from it, for good or for ill. And I thought about the fact that there was an article that said that uh, 99% of all shooters had, didn't have a father. And that's my father. Very meaningful what you said. So I thought about my brother, who became my sister, who passed. My brother wanted a father so badly that for a while he thought he had found one in God. He was, in part, devoted to a faith where God the Father was substitutionary. It could not work. It did not work. I cannot register grace in any place I can understand, reconcile, even really appreciate beyond confused gratitude. That brought me in about the middle of all of this to realizing that at one point I was in the salt marsh with a, um, with, with a, the person taking pictures and and it was, I, I thought about the fact that this barn was an important place, and it was my home. And I, I said, home is a definition that has no boundaries. It is not where the heart is for everyone, but that could be alone in your chest. It is where the heart is for everyone, but that could be alone in your chest. It could be a town. I've grown to have a town 
but not just, a, not just a place to live, but home is also where you are you. And if you have it, whether a house, a room, a jacket, it is good. This is also part of what I was doing in Italy, but also in that silent moment, I began to think that the, the architectural, uh, aesthetic, economic, cultural aspect of home is not just that, it is what's inside of uh, humans. And I began to think, what do architects do? And I, I said, well, the architect in The Matrix says, well, what do you think I am, human? And it be, because he was a complete construction. And I said, unlike the architect in The Matrix, I was not made in my own image. The world was not either. The world happens with no concern for us. No stub toes, disappointments, awards, winning, are all benign judgments on us beyond what we have been given to apply to life. And in Lent, here alone, after reading about Jim Kelly getting mouth cancer and assuming, of course, he chewed tobacco, and of course he did not, I feel my abiding inadequacy. He did nothing to deserve either his cancer, his glories as the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills in four Super Bowls, or his fam fabulous family, let alone my judgment. For reasons I'm not clear about, I thought about the mite boxes we all had, or some of us had. Some of the younger people don't even know what a mite box is, but most of the old people had mite boxes. And I began to think, well, why, did this why did this impact my life so much when I was growing up? And I think it's just the metaphor. I said, I, d I do not feel the pride of handing over the mite box because now, today, for me, it is bottomless. I cannot fill it. I am sure there will come a time when my incapacities outweigh the necessities required to fill the damn thing, but that's not here, so I just remain frustrated. Trees, trees came down throughout New England like crazy. So many trees came down in New England like crazy that, that there was a tree that came down and arbitrarily killed somebody in the merit. Just killed him, out. I thought about what is the merit? The merit has a long history. When it was first created, it had no trees. It was actually through barren farmland. And all these trees happened later and weren't part of the original design, but they became to be. And I thought about, well, what, this, death, this death that happened, what does it really mean? It's unfair. It's, there's no reason. There's no rationale. And I said, well, we risk death and defeat in the cause of beauty every day meaning the beauty of our experience. I could have avoided the merit. The merit could be stripped of trees, as it was in the 19th century when we tried to grow things to eat there. But the trees and I and millions of others are willing to risk it. Whether farming, designing, building, or driving a car, we may be doing even deliriously making, but we are at the mercy of a much greater reality. I call it God. Others call it luck. Others don't care. They just want what they want. And that's sort of what you think about when it's black and silence and you're cranking. And I thought about the great play that uses the word enough in it. And I wish I could remember, it's in the book, but I can't recite the actual words, but the E-N-U-F words in college delighted me. And I said, basically, I am pretty sure I am not good with enough, with happiness, with satiety. I gain weight easily because if eight Triscuits are good, 40 are much better. There is no enough, but there is enough. And I also thought about the fact that, as Liz, my wife, says, I'm on the we're on the return flight home. This is, you know, it's, 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 getting, it's gotten late early out there. And I said, we, I, 
do not know much. I think it is better that I know I do not know much. As I listen to my heart beat in the silent dead of night and say, what the hell did that come from? It's like, it's, it's just getting late for a 62-year-old, early. So it might be, as, might be good to know the origin of all those billions of hearts and where they came from. But no one does. And I realize now at 62, I never will. I'm really not even sure what to do with that. And then, of course, there's the inside baseball argument where the snow happens for no good reason except for, the, for, for some weird technological aspects. I have no clue. And the Episcopal Church has got 48 different colors that mean 73 different things, and they repeat and don't repeat and do all sorts of things. And it's just it's the idea of having a full moon or not a full moon or tides and everything. I said it would be empowering to think I worked my very large glutes, glutes, off to avoid rehab, which I apparently, when I was in shape and was in the hospital, the reason I didn't have any damage was because I worked my glutes off, or slurring or partial paralysis, but no, I just do it. I just did it. I, don't, I didn't do it to prevent anything or do anything. I just do this. No calculation, consideration, even perspective. I feel good with pretexts before things happen, just setting things up, not with rationalizations after the fact. I once never returned to a church because the cleric sermon was entirely about the color of his robe. I could not talk to anyone about baseball, even though I listened to it at night, because I really, because inside baseball is really outside of my attention span, but the actual rhythm of it is actually pretty great. We had thundersnow in Connecticut. I don't know if you saw this, we had thundersnow. And thundersnow basically was one of these wild things that just happens from once in a while. And I said, thundersnow could show me that I'm alive beyond the evidence of my control over things that I really do not know. The whistling past the inevitability of powerlessness is overwhelmed by the sound of thunder and blinding scour of raging snow. Why does it take that? Why does it take the death of someone, of knowing your children will never be you, or just the meeting that gets canceled. Why am I still so dumb? Why do these things change my perspective? Why can't I know that thunder snow is natural and not be thrilled by it? This, is the, this, this one piece has gotten thousands of hits. I don't know why, but it's been all over the internet. It's gotten thousands of hits. And what it really boils down to is I was thinking about a project I, I had worked on and how I had fundamentally made a, a distinctive error that cost the client money at his option, but it was an error that was made before anything was built. And I shared the cost with him because that project had an interior that didn't match its exterior. And the interior is based on what the client loved. I thought it was fine, it would have been fine. But I thought and think about why did I make that mistake? And I said, the mistake defined the beauty of the house, the, the mistake defined the beauty of the house that I had already designed. Meaning that mistake showed how beautiful the house really was. My mistake trivialized it. The mistake, uncorrected, would have been thoroughly defendable, nice. To some, not that much different, but it was wrong. It was wrong the way I am often wrong, doing the right thing, ignorant of why I'm doing it. Silence, alone in the house by myself, revealed that mistake because I think that silence offers truth. 
pretty convenient because I was in silence when I wrote that. And then I, the next morning I thought about an event with me and a tree when I was five years old. Alone at night, while my parents were arguing, I left the house and went and sat under a tree for a long time. I was never able to be attached to my parents like those limbs on the Copper Beach. I had been cast off years ago by their storm, basically for as far as I could remember. I understood that it was me, distinct from them, but with a presence of faith in, well, nothing except myself. I knew eventually it was God in me today. That presence is what is there these early silent mornings in Lent when I sweat, feel the twinges and heavy need for breathing on the groaning machine. And I thought about uh, the absence of things. I had gotten a degree by the skin of my teeth with the joy of triumph, but without the pride of achievement. No graduation ceremony. I didn't go, I was, I was making money. I was earning the last bit of what I owed Cornell 20 miles off the coast of New Jersey. When all the celebration happened, I lived through the penance and it was good. And so the absence that I was experiencing, the absence of Lent made a difference. And this is the, this is the photograph I was remembering from that earlier from that um, cameraman and thinking about this wonderful man. And I said, beauty can be the love within you for the rational realization that it is all a gift. You earned none of those things others laud you for and none of those inevitable pains you can hate yourself for. For this deeply good man, this photographer, finding a venue for his devotion to God in a horrific divorce where he went through hell was just a way to do what he had done for his life is nothing salvational, but it is a salvational path to a better place. Then I saw that night on Antiques Roadshow this, and I go, whoa, that's valued at 40 or $50,000. And then I see on the internet that it was actually a, totally wrong. It was worth three or $4,000, but, but on TV, 30 or $40,000. Conviction has its own rewards. I thought about why do, you, why do people feel this way? Conviction has its own rewards. Surety in projection defines for a while the truth. The convinced are often impossible to joke with. What they know is serious. Do not question the truth, even if it is only true, deeply true, that belief is its own truth. And then... Stephen Hawking died. Stephen Hawking, the famous atheist, Stephen Hawking, the genius man who ends up being buried in a church and having a, a, a funeral, a Christian funeral. And he basically completely and ethically and morally believed there was no God. Good for him. This is nothing wrong. But people were lauding him as this incredible person. And there was this odd meant in his life. And I said, dismissing the power of love and beauty dismisses for me God. There was no reason for those ragged rabble-rousers to make what up whatever happened 22,000 years ago when Jesus got killed and something happened. Who knows what happened after, except that the historic odds are that something happened then, because a lot happened to a lot of people. But like Hawking, I do not suppose or reason faith into being or comfort myself in connective history rationalizations because the insight of faith is nothing I did or what was revealed to me by others or history or any argument or proof. And that's just a church I did and I was just thinking about 
what was the nature of faith in terms of my work with, with the Episcopal Church. I said, I'm fairly deeply involved in the future of faith, in buildings, people, myself, even publicly with the Episcopal Church. It has, it has a full belly of ritual, ceremony, opaque, preachy words to the point of becoming its own self-congratulatory and mockably pretentious club. And by the way, I really love those words and the melodies that have meant so much to me every Sunday for me. And I think the Episcopal Church offers this dual-edged sword of essentially being an incredible aesthetic link and benefit and joy, and at the same time is dismissively rejected as irrelevant by more and more people. And the reality's gotta be that places like this, where smart people cannot believe in anything but believe in the power of the human spirit, can actually come together and see the, where maybe God is for them. Patience, this is actually a, a house being built right now in Massachusetts, and the owners have shown extreme patience, and that's why I put it there. And I said, beauty, beauty has extreme joy that nourishes me and makes me ever hungry to make more of it. I have faith that while beauty has meaning and that I will never understand it, it is yet the central good in my life. So I love my family without understanding it. I enjoy the 3,500,064,000, a, a lot of pieces, of the, that, the, 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 the next piece of buttered bread as if I'd never had the first. I quake a little when a line on a page or a piece of trim is not me, it is more than me or the ink, or the wood. And I think we've all experienced that, when something that is tangible actually has a far greater presence in our lives than what it actually is, and that to me is beauty. And I saw this, this, this video, we maybe saw it on the internet, where this one species of amphibian can regrow an entire arm, and I said, That's, I guess that makes people feel good, that you could actually regenerate an entire body part, and I said, but I am not Zen. The slow, left-leaning, right-turning car the mangled political events in the radio, even the impossible clutter on the passenger seat of my car pisses me off. But not the MIA bits of preempted expectation, meaning the incidentals are killers, but I don't seem to care if things don't work out the way I quote unquote deserve. This is, what, this is the article that got all the comments. And basically I was triggered by seeing this on the internet that morning which is two cleric, uh, organist and a cleric playing a gigantic radiator. And all I could think of was that uh, Bruegel painting of, of humanity and seeing the absurdity of sacred and profane in everybody's life. And I basically said, we are profane because we cannot be something else. Every organ, no matter how beautifully made and played, is a radiator. It is of this world, a world made for us. We were made for this world and it is profane, even in Lent. And there are the comments you saw. And I wrote a piece, and I hit a button, and it went away. So I wrote another piece in about three seconds. I said, who knows if I am happy? I wasn't at the time. I guess I am, but I know I am loved. I know that the giant forces need only one understanding, love. I am good with that. Many are pretty lovable, but it's not easy to accept being loved. And then I thought, of course, because the screaming, the screaming, the screaming. I then, I, then, I, then, I then thought about King Henry VIII, and I thought about Donald Trump, and I said, they really are almost the same person in a perverse way. And I said, it said nobody's even saying that. They're saying that he you know, doesn't sleep, and he texts, and he's a bad person. 
And, and all I could think of was the, the hatred that was out there on all sides for everyone. I said, the hatred and rending of garments over these freaks is no doubt it legitimately triggered by the realities of the freaks involved. But the realities of those who were in the same place at the same time can be seen as two things, victims or perpetrators. I prefer to see the freaks, the victims and the perpetrators as humans, just like me and you. And waiting on this house that we're doing in Maine that I showed you the quilt of and, and the Farmer's Almanac and also Weather Channel because the weather's changing and it's changing and it's changing and you're looking into it and you somehow think you're looking makes it different or better or, or somehow affects things. You go, we desperately want faith in the future. So we try to know it to control it. But I could not be a Christian scientist. I really couldn't not work out. Sorry, uh, Don. So, sorry, Trump. Or read the Farmer's Almanac or obsess over the Weather Channel, or honestly, re even read the Bible out of church. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Reverend, I don't read the Bible out of church. Um, because I will not know what I cannot know, so I wonder about those, about almost everything except me. For me, there is faith. Oddly, not so much fear. That is why people build things, because there's not that much fear, because why build anything? And that's why I have a job. And then Richard Meyer is outed. Now, Richard Meyer is one of the great jackasses in the history of all jackassery. He is, I, we, I saw him in 1975, and he fulfilled every negative stereotype of every architect that has ever been born and bred. He really made my life a living hell because he said to everybody, architects are jackasses. And they were right about him. So basically, I, uh, I basically said that he lived through the canon of what it takes to be a great architect. And I said, the canon defines success. And if it is a narrow path, the way gone upon that narrow, defined, directed path leads to laud. But it is the laud of the choir you are singing in. The greater world, the larger reality does not care about these petty judgments. God loves Richard Meyer, even though Meyer is a creep. God even loves me and you. Somehow I just thought about Star Trek, I don't know why, and I basically said every other entity that is active simply lives to make the next generation of themselves while alive. Audrey Scanlon says the great story that she goes to every church in central Pennsylvania, mutual bishop friend, and the, the one thing that, that the, the ancient human comes up to her and says is, Bishop, Bishop, you have to promise me one thing. You have to promise me one thing, just one thing. And she's looking at, at the person going like, yes. Just this church stays alive. This building, this church stays alive just long enough so I can be buried here. Got it. Okay. So um, uh, there is a lot to space. When with some joy, if the brain is big enough, but no sense of death, no sense of reason, motivation, no sense of space, fully admit it. Space only exists in the absence of effort like I didn't have in that barn. Humans can envision it, some may even live it, but space is not rest or comfort or achievement. Space is the place that was there before all of this and after this existence is not here. I'm, you inevitably think about your death when you're alone in the dark. And the next day, I had this wild trip that went on for 20 hours, went to a bunch of places, Liz was with me, we did all sorts of things, flew everywhere, gave talks, did site inspections. And I said, even in Lent, there could be silence in the did of engaged, engaged doing. To know it all, all of it, is a gift, unearned but compelling devotion born of faith. 
It is an occasional glimpse of God. And then I thought about Rapture Jesus. I don't know, do we know Rapture Jesus? Do anybody know Rapture Jesus? Rapture Jesus is this thing that sort of happened because uh, creationists thought that Jesus rode a dinosaur into Jerusalem for his crucifixion because the earth was formed about 12 minutes ago and, and it, it's all happened simultaneously. And so people were wearing like crocodile masks and a, and a Jesus toga. And it was, it was, it's a, it, look it up. Look up Jesus Raptor on the internet. It is a thing on the internet. Raptor Jesus. And I said, and the guy was, like a lot of other guys, publicly killed for no good reason, just like many, many others. Realize this is in Holy Week. But something happened. Unlike Jesus' raptor, we did not make this up. It was not funny. If it was just another guy, it was still the worst part of each of us. Humor and violence are the easy answers to what we fear, even in Lent. The fact we do not have to fear is terrifying. At least it is to me. Spring was beginning. I know some, I know that some know much more than I will ever know, but I also know that the meaning of things, real and present things, is not dependent on hormones or gluons or transfiguration. We can see more the more we know, but the reality of those things is just deeper, not justified. I was at a fellow meeting, this is almost over, you can breathe, almost over. Uh, this is at a fellow meeting where I now listen to, I'm now a fellow in the AIA, so I'm listening to other people, and I realize that this is this group of privileged human beings listening to other people, and I said, life is given to all of us, even the fellows, even Jesus. I forget that life is not a given, not a reasonable expectation or a just reward like being a fellow. In the hardest insight of a transactional life, I realized almost every day that I have earned nothing beyond things like getting the letter F, meaning fellow, F-A-I-A. But I still know I fail every day, especially in Lent. And the last entry was basically, that's what I would do every day, the 90 minutes, the 26 miles, the 700 calories. And I just say, I suffered the confusions and rejections they reject the projection of, pers of the personal into the internet. In other words, I, I, the idea of a selfie makes me want to vomit. It is essentially a profane place. Not the cursing, offensive profane, but the fully godless place, more God-free by choice, that may need the kinds of things most. Will I do this next year? I was thinking about, am I gonna do this? Well, now my legs by that time were totally crushed, full of lactic acid. My brain is full, I sort of eaten too much in my head. But without insight, they did they clap too soon. But without insight or insight beyond expression, that is self-serving. So I may, thankfully, shut up for a while. That's it. Uh -huh.